Today, I welcome Alisa Hochba, founder of Recovery Cat. Recovery Cat is a health tech startup from Berlin, aiming to facilitate personalized, effective psychiatric care for patients with severe mental illnesses, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression. The app helps patients to understand how their symptoms and medication are linked and monitor their treatment responses. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, Eleanor. Really nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you too. So, Alyssa, before we get started, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? Sure. So, my educational background is in clinical psychology. I studied at Technical University of Dresden here in Germany and some other places abroad, but actually already while studying, I knew I didn't want to go into research trade or become a therapist after graduating. So I had this urge to build something new, and uh, my first job was um, back then in 2014 in a startup, Um, you know, also a year where it wasn't that obvious to work in a startup, and I really got hooked actually by the culture and by this, you know, being able to create something. And um, yeah, so basically a year later, I founded my first company, Making the New, which was in corporate venture building. So for the next few years, I worked in large corporations uh, such as Deutsche Bank and uh, developed digital products and business models with them in different places of the world. And uh, yeah, that was a very exciting time. Um, I learned a lot, um, but I had this urge at some point to go back to the clinical space. So I kind of merged my two expertise in clinical psychology and also in product development and founded Recovery Cat. That is fantastic. It's rare to see like somebody who would combine, you know, like a psychological or medical field with uh, an entrepreneurship mind. So you were entrepreneur before it was cool. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. That's that's very impressive. Um, so you founded other businesses, but how did you have the idea for Recovery Cat? Was it all this expertise you had before and this and this will to go back into this uh, medical world, or what was it? Yeah, very good question. So, um, so I knew I wanted to do something in the mental health space due to my background in psychology, and I really started digging into the healthcare sector and where were the biggest problems, basically. Um, so maybe let's start a bit differently. I actually found first my co-founders. So I knew, you know, I wanted to, to work on software. So, um, I had a friend who is a software engineer and I had been working with him before Andreas and he was like, yeah, sure. Let's, you know, let's have a, let's talk. Let's see if we can come up with some, some idea. Um, and then I also met Jakob, who's a psychiatrist at Charité, um, also a friend of mine. And he was also really up um, doing something new. And then we kind of really started with the problem first. So we looked into um, the healthcare sector where the biggest gap. So we crunched numbers, basically. We looked into uh, the market competitors and we talked a lot to users. So we talked to a lot of doctors, therapists, patients. And I think what became quite clear is while, especially in the kind of tech sector, there's a lot of solutions for rather light mental illness, like anxiety disorders, light depression, and so on, there is actually very little for severe mental illness. So um, more psychiatric disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, as you said earlier. And uh, these are the kind of illnesses that also are causing tremendous costs for the healthcare system and for society. And 
immense suffering for the individual. And um, yeah, so I, I think we very quickly kind of realized this is the sector we wanted to go in. And obviously also this is where um, my co-founder Jakob came from as a psychiatrist. Um, and yeah, so this is basically how we narrowed down the area we were in. Um, so how did you plan those milestones? Is it very kind of organic or did you use your expertise from beforehand to plan that when you would, for example, register the company or when you would, uh, you know, start working on privacy and, and policy? Yeah, so I think it's super important to have a timeline, um, definitely. So I think the most important is to have a common mission and vision with the whole team, not just the founding team, but really the whole team. And uh, for us, it was very clear we are focusing on severe mental illness and we want to improve therapy. So rather than um, doing self-therapy, we want to add on existing therapies and really make a change there and make, make a change for these patients. And I think this is kind of the, then becomes a sort of end goal and vision. And uh, from there, you can then start saying, okay, so what are the different streams we have? So we have product and tech, we have clinical, so we have to run, we're running preclinical studies now, then next year we're going to run clinical studies. Then we have a big stream, which is really regulatory. Um, then we have business uh, reimbursement with the insurance companies. So, and a couple of others more on the administrative side, you know, as you said, like registering the company and so on. And all of these are kind of intertwined. So uh, you really have to see, you know, what do you need to, to make something else happen? For example, we need to have the preclinical studies in order to be certified. Um, so you have a lot of interdependencies. I think it's really important to plan all of this. At the same time, you will change things around. So I think what's most important is you have this really strong vision. You're aligned with the team. And uh, you will have to, to, yeah, kind of be flexible and there will be changes, strategic changes, and you will also change the milestones. Um, but you definitely have to have this plan and communicate well with the team. And you're working full time on it too, right? Yes, definitely. So I think once you have um, investors involved, um, you have... Yeah, you, you raise the fund, uh, you, you have a public grant, how we started. I think this is definitely when you should start to commit full time. Um, take this chance. It's such a, you know, it might be such a one in a lifetime chance. You also, right now with the market crashing, you don't know how this is long term really going to go. Right now, this is still a, a good year or a good time, especially the two last years. Um, I think this, this is such a chance you know, that you should absolutely take. And um, yeah, so I think this is, uh, you should be mentally completely dedicated to it if you go that path. Yeah, so I think startup at some point do ask for 100% or 150% commitment. But I guess it's, it's very hard to do this shift from, you know, you have your income from another job and then and then really recognizing when you need to, to go 100% or 150% into the startup. <laughs> Yes, absolutely right. This is a this could be can be a big shift, especially um, because I had I was quite in a safe space, you know. So I built this company before, and 
it was doing really well and it was also quite convenient, you know, and I had a great work-life balance and so on. And then I was in the safe zone. We had these uh, good client base and then going from there to something that's much more risky that I will earn much less and like work much more at the same time. And of course, this is a chance. And I think for that, what's the most important is having this, vision in mind um what you what's the impact and for me this was really the what made me want to go in that area saying like this is in health tech especially for this patient group there's so much to do there's so much potential and i'm kind of in the right intersection kind of to to go into that field and make a difference and i think you need this motivation this is also why i would recommend everyone to really go with um, a topic that you like and that you are super interested about and that you really want to also make a change. In. And you also like a big challenge, I guess. It's not, it's not just the, the inspiration that you're making a wonderful difference. It's also this, this constant uh, pressure and, you know, workaholic you must be, right? <laughs> I'm actually, to be honest, I'm, I'm fine. So this is something that's important for me and I've been, thinking a lot about and also researching quite a bit about working times and output and so on. Also as a psychologist, you know, I have this kind of meta view on, on work and productivity. And um, I would say I really try to have, yes, of course, you know, it's intense. There's lots of mental load and I'm working a lot, but also at the same time, I'm really trying to take my evenings off um, if there is no like you know immediate thing to do deadline and so on, I try to try to have my weekends off. I think I know that other founders do it differently. I feel like if I see this really as a not as a sprint, you know, but something that especially health tech it doesn't have this um, usual kind of VC typical growth rate. So it's something that you know I think you have to. Business modeling and health tech also is something that's still tricky. A lot of startups are still trying to find a way to monetize well. So you have to have see this as a long-term thing and you have to stay sane. And I think for that, it's important to actually not go crazy, also work-wise and um, hour-wise. And also, you know, there's a lot of research about working times and productivity and Actually, at some point, it's just you're not super productive anymore. And I think then it's also fine to take yourself back um, and try to, yeah, to find a balance. So a good work-life balance and a nice vision and motivation is the key to a successful startup. Well, maybe not successful, but an enthusiastic and good working atmosphere, right? I would say so. And I think that's also then the base for having success um, in the in the long term. Of course, there are other factors. But I think that's kind of the base. And this is how you can motivate people. This is how you can also stay together as a team, um, not have too much turnover or anything. Um, this is how you, this is also something you can deliver to, to, um, to investors. You know, they also see if you're like a stable and like sane team. Um, so yeah, I would say that uh, this is my personal opinion. I know that other founders go more crazy, you know. But I, I don't think it's a, yeah, it's not a sprint. This is what I would say. Um, do you have any recommendation um, more than what you said before uh, for aspiring entrepreneurs? Anything that they should look out for? Any warning signs? Any or also signs that the idea is is a good idea? For example, getting inspired or or something else. 
Sure. Um, I think right now also with the, I think we talked briefly about it, but the markets are, you know, especially the tech stocks are crashing right now and they're, the investors have less money to spend and the funds now are still full, but, you know, they're also sometimes, uh, they're, they're now quite, quite cautious. And I think it's, the time has changed a lot. And this is something, if you now are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, you definitely should have a look into the market, um, into also what bigger funds are giving as suggestions to their portfolio companies and really take this serious because it just has really changed in the two, three years. So rather ask yourself, you know, am I an entrepreneur in a like more classical sense? Like would I have done this five years ago or now, which is maybe, you know, again, a bit like five years ago with the motivation. Um, so don't do it because you think this is the best way to like, you know, really start up a successful business fast and make an exit and so on. This has be, this is probably going to be much more difficult now, um, but do it because you really want to create something new. You want to solve the problem. I'm a very big fan of, you know, trying to solve the new problem um, compared to saying, oh, there's, you know, the successful company from the U.S. It's not, we don't have it in Europe. Let's like, you know, kind of copy it and change it a bit to the European market. This is a model as well, but I'm, I think this like this motivation really comes from this is a topic I'm super interested in. I can see myself with long term. I can really identify myself with. I think this is how you should start. Um, this is very important. Yeah. And um, yeah, maybe something else um, is you have to, I think it's it's super important to have the right people around you. Um, and I, I, I do see a lot of like amazing people and founders in um, with my friends or people I know who are thinking of starting something. And it's very often when it starts to get real and it starts to for them to feel right is when they find a person that they can share this with. And that is a good fit also in terms of background has the same mission. So I would really do this actively. You know, if you're playing around with ideas, I think you can do this for a very long time. I think it gets more concrete when you find people around you that are a good match and you are doing this together. What are your options regarding fundraising? Like what, what are the different things that you can do to motivate people and different people you can target for it? Yeah, so I think for fundraising, what's important is not to just see venture capital money as your only option, which I think is something that you read about a lot. So you might think this is the way to go as a startup. Um, this might also be a really good way, but it also, as you probably know, comes with a lot of strings, strings attached. So really try to map out first your options, um, especially if you are in an impact sector like climate tech, uh, health tech, there might be many more options. We were so far funded by public grants. So we started with a um, small open source software fund called uh, the Prototype Fund here in Germany, which I uh, very much recommend. That's great to start with, um, just to really build you know, a first technical prototype. And um, this was equity-free. And then we are now with uh, this grant from Charité, um, from Berlin Institute of Health, and this is also connected to uh, shares. 
but uh, it's very still, I would say it's like a really good health tech fund because it understands that health tech is a bit slower. You have to get certified and run these studies and so on. So it has a really profound understanding of your business. This is what you want from investors. They have to understand your business and how it might also maybe differ from the standard kind of VC business, e-commerce and so on. So this is what I definitely would recommend. Look into other options you have. Um, there's usually plenty. And then, of course, you also have, like, you know, for, for the beginning, you have angels, friends and family, and so on. And, um, and yeah, and then when it, you know, when it grows and you, you do a next funding round, you know, I think the further it gets, the harder it is to go with alternative sources of funding. So now we are doing a fundraising. We are also looking into more classical VCs, though with a strong focus on health tech. Right. And how did you convince the investors that you, you the right people to build this uh, this product? So I think the team in this early stage is definitely the most important to investors. So um, you're still missing this kind of traction, this normal traction data that usually investors are looking into. So of course you have, you know, you have first kind of better clinics that want to use your product and you're preparing insurance contracts for our case and you have all these things like on you know 80 percent but then maybe not on 100 this is what they want to see so it is actually quite hard especially in the current market where investors want to have much more security so i think really it has to you know it has to come from both from a strong team that has the right skills but also this energy and then second uh the market so in mental health tech as you already said, it's like it's really booming. The market is already kind of exploding, but actually in the psychiatric space. So for rather severe mental illness, there is very little. And this is a big um, advantage for us. So I would definitely say, you know, if you have a market that is still largely untapped, but it's a big, big market, so it has to be like a, a billion market for investors to have an interest in if they're more coming from the VC side. So you have to have that. Um, and then I, I think you have to show that you're flexible because right now uh, with the current market situation um, and also with in general, that's specific for health tech, but health tech really started to boom like, you know, one or two, two years ago. And uh, but now investors are realizing monetization is actually is quite tricky. So I think you have to to show that you're flexible and you will go with you will you really try to validate also different paths and um, yeah and just show them that you're you know taking this seriously and uh, you will take good care of their money which is eventually what what they yeah want you to do you mentioned obviously energy of your team and and you know targeting right but did your team and yourself have already the right network when you started? Or did you have to completely start it over? This is a very good question. So um, as I come, I founded before. So and I have a lot of uh, friends also who are founders. So I did have a network, but I would definitely say I still had to really build it as well, um, especially in this health tech sector. And this is one of the this is one of the really you know fun things to do and, and great and you learn so much and it's just amazing to see how people help each other. Um, I'm not sure if this is also something maybe specific for like impact um, areas, but I think generally in startups, people are helping each other out um, also with 
fundraising, you know, your even your competitors, they will very often, if it's not too close to you, they will forward your pitch deck to their investors and so on. And um, and just giving you good advice and talking about um, also, you know, talking about how things are harder right now and, and like sharing these stories. So I think building up this network is super important. It's extremely helpful. It's also for me a big, um, like, as I said, it's kind of a fun part about uh, funding a company. And uh, yeah, this is definitely something you have to do. But my experience is it is definitely possible. So you start talking to a few, they lead you to other people and really, you know, try to ask actively for it. People are in the startup scene usually super helpful. That's, that's my experience. Um, so did that, and therefore your work really changed from the first days where you first looked at the market, talked with people, then started developing the, the software and obviously recruiting your team. How's your day-to-day now compared to your day-to-day at the beginning of the, the foundation of Recovery Cap? So I would say it has changed quite a bit. It, uh, at the very beginning, it was very product-focused. So it was really all about what need are we trying to solve? Uh, how is the product going to look like, the software, the tech behind, and so on? Um, very much focused on solving this this medical need. And now it's much more around building a business. Um, so we are, for example, talking a lot to insurance companies for reimbursement strategy. Uh, we are talking to clinics, outpatient psychiatric units, um, we are preparing to be certified as a medical product, which also takes uh, quite quite a bit. And also right now we are actually fundraising. Um, and this is, um, as you probably also know, uh, as a founder and from other founders, this is something that easily takes up 50 to 70% of your time uh, while you're really in the kind of high season of the process. And do you reckon that before, when you found your the, uh, entrepreneurship, did you did you make any mistakes that actually taught you what not to do later on and helped you? So I would say I have this tendency to get very overly excited uh, about uh, people. So sometimes, you know, I think what it taught me as well, sometimes you have to go a bit more slowly with certain decisions, uh, who you work with, um, as I said, for most of my team and my co-founders, that worked perfectly well. But, you know, you're also collaborating with externals and so on. And I think sometimes, um, even though these were great people, but maybe not the best match. And I, I think sometimes I'm like a person that goes with, with my feeling as well. And I can be really excited about things. And I think sometimes you really have to also then step back and really look at the details and test things out. I think it's always amazing if you can um, not only test your product with users, but also um, test collaboration. You know, for example, also with maybe consulting firm you're, you're working with or uh, with freelancers and so on. And yeah, I think having this, um, being a bit more cautious sometimes also helps. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I have a question. How do you... How do you get people to trust it? So obviously mental health and just medical data in general is a very soft, uh, you know, an important subject and security around it is extremely important. And we've seen how people could be, you know, reticent to having tracking apps or, you know, sometimes medical apps. How did you get, for example, better users and how did you 
get the trust of those people to tell them, well, you know, like this is an important tool. And obviously, you know that you've done your market research, so you know some people need it. But how do you get them to trust your product and trust that they their data stays confidential? Um, so generally, we are in the kind of um, serious healthcare sector. So this is different from, from for example, wellness. From a lot of trackers, B2C, you might know from your iPhone for fitness and so on. Um, and this means we have to be certified as a medical product. So we are right now preparing the certification process. And this is something that really adds on on all these things you already have to do as a, as a startup. So you have to get uh, regulated and certified as a medical product. And um, there is also a lot of rules for uh, data privacy. And I would say as my co-founder, Andreas, he is also a data privacy activist, he's even more severe about it. So right now the app is built in a way that there is no central data storage. So the data really belongs to the patients and they decide when they want to share with their doctors. And I think this is super important because it's extremely sensitive data. So for example... Um, patients might report on um, hallucination on the app. And of course, you want to make super sure that this, this data is safe. Um, so how do, you, how do you do preclinical studies or clinical studies? How do you recruit the right crowd? How do you get the medical approval to do this? Uh, obviously, this is a very specific to medical entrepreneurship, but it would be very interesting to, to hear that, how that works. Um, sure, absolutely. Um, I think this is super crucial to health tech startups when you're in the kind of serious mental health or health tech space. Um, and you have to be aware of this and either have strong clinical team members or really strong partnerships. In our case, uh, we are actually right now funded by Berlin Institute of Health at Charité. So we have access to doctors and patients at Charité. We can run our studies at Charité and we also have collaboration clinics. So there's another clinic in Berlin, Theodor Wenzelberg, we are also running our uh, first studies now with. So this is super important. And we have people on our team that can run clinical studies. So researchers, psychiatrists, and um, yeah, this is super important. And then, of course, it all starts uh, with the ethical approval you have to get. So what's important is we are not able to really test our product before it is certified as a medical product. But what we can do is we can ask to get ethical approval to test it in a study. And uh, for that, you have to explain what you do. And there is a sort of risk analysis. So what can happen to the patients if they use your product and it's not yet, you know, fully tested, certified and so on. And then depending on this sort of risk, the ethical committee, they would say, okay, you can do this. But for example, we limit it to uh, now, now it's 120 patients. You seem to have the perfect team. How did you, how did it, you found it first? So you, you obviously had worked before with, I think it was Andreas you mentioned. Uh, so how many were you to start with? Were three people? How many are you now? What are the most crucial members you know, of the team for, for this medical product? So we started, yeah, around the co-founding team. And also in the very beginning, there were already like one or two people more um, who wanted to share the same kind of mission, um, maybe didn't want to be, you know, on the kind of 
founding team side uh, for several reasons, but who said they definitely wanted to bring this forward. So we started as a small team, I would say, of like four or five people. And um, as I said, I, I really kind of kind of recruited uh, amongst my friends. And I think this is something that maybe other people would tell you not to do because there obviously is also certain risk involved involved with it. But for us, it worked really well. So I started with Jakob and Andreas, and I knew them already for a really long time before I actually had worked with Andreas before on software. So I knew I would get along well with them. And I would say that super important because you are going to spend so much time and it's good if you like your co-founders and they like you, you know? <laughs> so um, that was really important. And then we also, the other people, now we are around 10 and we also recruited actually among, among like colleagues or friends. And this worked so far really well. So we found really strong people from clinicians, researchers, but uh, software engineers, of course, as well, designers, uh, regulatory, and um, it kind of worked out well. But of course, you know, as we grow, I think there is a limit to who you can recruit from people you know. But yeah, I think at this early stage for us, this was a very good strategy. When you recruit friends and you work with them, it's usually easier to give the, the vision and mission because you, you know how they think or perceive the world or certain aspects or think of it. But it's, it's true that it can be <laughs> quite um, tiresome because you don't want to lose a friendship just because you, you're working 100 hours a week. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad that it's working working well for you. And what, what what would say was your like? What are you really good at? Is it your entrepreneurship spirit that makes it successful, or is it the, the combination of your knowledge and education and your entrepreneurship spirit? What what are you good at, and why are you bad at in recovery care? So, um, so for us, I mean, we still have to really see how successful this is going to be because it's in health tech. Uh, we are. We are going to launch in the end of this year, beginning of next year. Once once we're certified, we have the contracts with the insurance companies. Um, so I think it's a bit early to say um, how successful this is. Although I would say until now it has worked really well, like in terms of hitting the milestones and you know really building up a strong team. Um, the team is definitely what's the biggest asset I would say about this, especially when you are so early stage. Generally, I think what's interesting is to look when it comes to your personal skills, what's your sweet spot? So, you know, I'm definitely not the, you know, best like psychologist and I'm also not the best product development person, but I have a sweet spot here because I'm experienced and interested in both. And I think this is something that for me made it possible to work on a solution like this that is really in the intersection. Thank you so much, Alessa. You have such a wonderful energy. I, I wish you really the best uh, for Recovery Cat. Uh, fingers crossed. I think you have a, a fantastic idea with it. And um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Eleanor. It was great to talk to you. This was Eleanor Pauli interviewing Alessa Hochbar from Recovery Cat. We hope that you've learned as much as I did today. And we look forward to welcoming you in episode three. See you next time.